Our very own Nehemiah is going to share, he's going to bring the word today, and he's done that on the college campus before. He came to real life in 2019, uh, biohealth was his major, he just graduated, and this is his first year on staff, and we are so blessed, there's a gifting and a calling on this man's life, we are so blessed to have him preach this morning, so would you give a big warm welcome to Nemo. How's it going, church family? So good to end the year with all of you guys. As Chad was saying, my name's Nemo or Nehemiah. I believe my wife is one of the only ones in here that calls me that, but I'll respond to either of them, and you'd be surprised by the, by the amount of names I would respond to. I've been called Nehemiah and Hemanamimanama. I mean, any, any way that you could look at this and mispronounce it, I'll know you're trying to say my name. So feel free to call me either of them. The name Nehemiah, however, means God comforts, and that's going to be kind of ironic as we go through the rest of today, so just remember that. (laughs) I wanted to reflect on Christmas, um, which was last Sunday, or last Monday. Crazy, it's already been almost a week, but I had an amazing time. I went down to Southern Southern Oregon to visit a lot of my family that lived down there. I got to see about 50 extended family members, which was the most I've seen in a very long time. And I got to meet a new niece, I got to meet a new nephew, and my sister visited from Michigan, which was really awesome. And one of the highlights for me was playing Monopoly with all of them, and it got very hostile. And that's because of me. All of them, they were having fun nickel and diming each other, but I was playing the game the way Monopoly's supposed to be played. So, yeah. (laughs) But a bit about me. So, I come from a Christian upbringing, as many of you do, and most of the time in which I got to know the Lord um, growing up was through Awana ministry, um, which was a youth ministry that mainly does um, kindergarten through grade school. However, the church that um, I was connected to back then, Glide Baptist Church, had a high school program I got involved with, and that got me connected to summer high school camps. And it was at one of those uh, high school camps that I gave my life to the Lord. And when I got to college, I had a goal of finding a church community up here. And before I even got a chance to start looking it was just basically placed right in my path. I was on campus looking for my classes my first week, and I came across Real Life, who were tabling out in the SEC Plaza. And from there, I got plugged into Real Life, which really helped me to live in such a way that honors God. I wasn't doing that going in to college. Um, Even though I was Christian throughout most of high school, I wasn't walking in a very healthy manner, and certainly not in the way that God intended for my life. And um, real life was also very um, amazing in helping me discover and grow in my spiritual gifts. And I'm so blessed to now be in real life still post-college, which is not something very many people get to say. And um, my first time here at Calvary Corvallis, was in January of 2020. My small group leader in real life of that year invited me. And my first time here, um, it was pitch black. I had no idea how big the church was. Um, I had no idea that it wasn't just a building and that we had this amazing property as well. 
But what I do remember is going down to a small prayer chapel and seeing a church that prays. And it was powerful for me, and it just really helped me know that I was in the right place. And that's still how I view Calvary today, is a church that prays. Many of you know about our Saturday night prayer, but um, if you haven't gone to those, I would highly encourage it to be something you do in 2024. And um, another thing that's going to be coming up here in just three weeks is our Humble Week, the week of prayer and fasting. And that also has just been extremely powerful in my life. This is going to be my fifth prayer and fasting week with, with this church. And I've just seen God move in amazing ways each year. Um, my first time here at Calvary, of course, it was very amazing just for me to know I was in the right place coming to Corvallis. And last year, Humble Week was pivotal in seeking discernment where the Lord was calling me after graduation. Like Chad said, I was at OSU with the Bachelor's in Biohealth Science, the Sciences. Um, I graduated in June and that's one of my highlights from this year. And the beautiful woman next to me is my wife. And this year, I'm also uh, reflecting on celebrating two years of marriage with her and seven years of relationship. And it's just been amazing to see God work in both of our lives. But especially through those weeks of prayer and fasting, um, we've just been able to really grow in our marriage through those. And um, another highlight from this year was getting baptized during the summer. A lot of you are here for that. And if you want to hear more about that story, I would be happy to share that with you. Um, I'll touch on it a little bit um, as we go forward today. Um, another highlight for me this year was just to see the growth in real life as well. Um, when I first came to real life, it was in what was called the Horizon Room. Um, and just to see it grow from about 150 students when I first joined to upwards of 350 students during our welcome week of this year has been just incredible to see God's faithfulness in using the campus ministry to reach youth in our community here. So as we look forward to the new year in 2024, I'm very, very excited to see what God has for us. And I think it's also important to remember that it's 2024 AD. And a lot of you guys know what BC means, before Christ. And if you're like me, there was also a period of time in which you thought AD meant after death, which would have meant there had to be a DC, which meant during Christ. And then that would mean everybody has to remember three different epochs. However, AD does not mean after death. It means anno domini, or in the year of the Lord. Within the last 20 years, academics have increasingly been adopting the year notations BCE and CE, which stand for common era rather than the conventional method we know as BCAD, and because of the implicit statement that Jesus is Lord. There's no difference in the period of time denoted, however. 2024 means it's been 2,024 years approximately since Jesus started his walk here on the earth. And it's kind of funny now as the transition to CE is happening in a lot of um, places of academics because simply writing down AD can now be a statement of faith. So I would encourage you as maybe one of the things going forward in this year when you're writing 2024, 
putting down AD can just be a witness to somebody of being a Christian. And also, just an encouragement as we go into this new year, I would encourage you to write down prayers and reflecting, reflect on them again this time next year just to see how faithful God is in all of our lives. Because sometimes that can be easy to forget. Today, if you want to open up your Bibles to Hebrews 12, that's where we're going to be going through. And a little bit of context for why we're going to be in Hebrews 12 today rather than Luke like most weeks. Back in the summer, we did a few of what we call men's staken studies. And we were going through Hebrews 11 with Kyle Duver and Daniel Fox for a couple of those, discussing what faith is and men and women who walked in faith or with a desire to follow God even when it was difficult and didn't make sense. Now, the Hall of Faith has many, many names. However, they're most probably names that you'd be familiar with if you look through Hebrews 11. Um, a lot of the people in that list have been made into VeggieTales cartoons, or you would have heard about them during Sunday school. And they're examples to us of seeing how God's faithfulness is shown through them. Now, what does it mean to have faith in God? It means to have trust and reliance in him because of who he is. Now, the book of Hebrews itself is referred to towards chapter 13 at the end as a brief word of exhortation, which is kind of funny if you've ever read through Hebrews, it is packed full of amazing stuff. But a word of exhortation simply means a word of encouragement. It has no known author. However, it was addressed to Jewish Christians. And these were Jewish Christians around the year 70 AD who were facing persecution for being Christians. The message of the book in its entirety is to proclaim the superiority of Christ, contrast him with who and what came before, and encourage perseverance in the face of persecution. Today, we're going to be taking a look at chapter 12, which urges the listener to embrace discipline and struggle, keeping eyes set on Christ as hope and regarding the examples who came before. Now, a lot of you have probably heard the verse, James 1, 2, which says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And if you're like me, the first time you ever heard that verse, it was probably a little offensive. What do you mean that I should be joyous in the midst of th some really hard things that I'm going through? However, if you continue to read that verse, you can see the context in which it's spoken. It's another way of saying it is to take account of or consider the joy or hope we have in Christ when we encounter hardship. Hope is the reason for joyful. It's why we can be full of joy despite circumstances in the midst of all the headache and pain we experience in this world. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity that we have as believers to just gather weekly and read your word, Lord. I pray that as we go through Hebrews today, Lord, that you would just be ministering to us. 
Lord, that you would just be encouraging us through this word, Father, and showing us how we can go about our lives in a way that honors and glorifies you. Father, I pray that we would just be able to reflect on how we currently live, Father, and whether or not it's in a way that's in your will. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, verse 1, Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, the verse starts with therefore, which is a conjunctive adverb. Basically what that means is in order to understand Hebrews 12, you must understand what was said in Hebrews 11. It links the ideas of what we learned in chapter 11, the hall of faith, with chapter 12, which is an application to how we should live as Christians. Now that word witnesses comes from the Greek martyrion, or martyr, as um, the root word would indicate. And those are witnesses to us of a life lived in faith and the legacy they left in this same fallen world. These Christians, or Hebrew people, did not have it easy, but God used them and their struggles powerfully for good. Now, you've also probably heard that the life of a Christian can be compared to a race. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. I believe even if you aren't Christian, you've probably heard that before. And that word race is in the Greek, agona, which is where we get the word agony in English. And that should be your indication right there that this race isn't gonna be easy. Rather, it's going to be an extended struggle, a fight, a conflict. Now, there's many, many running parallels that you'll see as you read the New Testament, but I think it's pretty easy to see why. Boots on the ground, you're subject to the elements, there's a personal exertion of energy, it can be improved through discipline, and running requires proper care of self or fueling up through the word, prayer, etc. Now, as we read this verse, we also see how we are to run that race. Lay aside weight. Now, weight are those things in our life that are not necessarily sin, but hindrances or encumbrances that slow us down. We are to shed all of those unnecessary burdens, such as if you were running, you wouldn't want to run with a heavy jacket or in jeans or corduroy. You would want to be as light as possible. That way you can run with endurance. Are you willing to yield to God that which is leading you to sin? Now these things might not be sin in themselves, whether they be relationships, dreams. It can be hard to run the race. And a few weeks we might be going through Luke 18, at least we were going through Luke 17, so I'd imagine that's where we're going next. But we also see a story of Jesus speaking to the young rich ruler. And we see that this man had many possessions. Now, it wasn't a sin for this man to have possessions or to have a lot of money or a lot of material goods. However, 
Um, there's also this quote I, I'm remembering. The last part of a man to surrender is his wallet. And even money can be something that is a weight to us. Now, money can also be a sin, which is also, unsurprisingly, something that can get in the way of our race. We are to lay aside all sin. And it says clings closely. So it's speaking of all sin, but I believe it's especially speaking of that sin which so closely attaches itself to us, or we attach ourselves so closely to that sin. Those frequent stumbling blocks, that untied shoelace that would cause one to trip as soon as every time they would try to return to the race. For me, in my story, those sins, those stumbling box, blocks were lust and pride. And for some of you, I would imagine it could be those exact same things. And like I said, money can also be that. Greed can be a sin that prevents you from running the race God intends for your life. Now, if you try to do both, it leaves you with a double-sided nature. It's not possible to do both. It leaves you torn in two. You cannot serve two masters, money and God, or that sin in your life and God. You have to lay aside that something in your life. You have to let it go and leave it. In other words, you have to have full surrender. Repent from your sins, lay them aside, and turn from them. God has a will for the life of all who follow him. If you read Ephesians 2.10, it tells us that God has good works prepared for us, and in our race we are to walk in them. Now, one does not run this race alone. Notice this passage uses the words we, us, our. We race alongside brothers and sisters in Christ that can stir one another on, lift us when we fall. Now, we often feel alone in our battles, like no one else could possibly understand what we are going through. Perhaps someone can actually come alongside and give counsel out of a place of experience. Now, we also have the Holy Spirit, who is also referred to in Scripture as helper, comforter, intercessor, advocate. We don't run the race alone. Now, the word endurance, endure or endures, appears repeatedly in this passage, four times to be exact in the first seven verses, now, endurance is the fact or power of enduring an unpleasant or difficult process or situation without giving way. The purpose of endurance is to overcome so that God can use us in greater ways and conform us to the image of Christ. Now, then you have the question, how does one gain endurance? Well, endurance comes as a result of repeatedly encountering trials and tests it's built up over time. It's a process. If you read Romans 5, 3, 4, it says, Through him, Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. 
And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If we return to that James passage, which I first spoke of earlier, James 1, 2 through 4, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance, perseverance, patience, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, during July or August, towards the end of summer, I was challenged to run a half marathon. And I'm going to be running that half marathon next Saturday, um, which is right around the corner. Now, when I first took on the challenge of running a marathon, I discovered very quickly that it wasn't going to be as easy as I thought. Um, I did a lot of running in high school. However, I think I'd forgotten that you, it takes a lot of training and a lot of work. And over the last few months, I've gone from a place of where it's difficult to run even a single mile to discovering that the second mile is even harder than the first. <laughs> and so can be said with every mile thereafter. It took effort and commitment to increase my endurance and stamina. Now, it's going to be pretty funny if after next Saturday you check in on me and I don't finish this race, but I think that um, based on my last few runs that I've had, um, the endurance I've gained over these last few months will help me to achieve that ultimate goal. And I believe that can just be a word for us as Christians. It might be hard on that first mile of being a Christian, or it might be easy, but endurance, what our Christian walk is like on that 13th mile that ultimately is what is important. Let's go on to verse two. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Jesus is the ultimate witness or example to us. Not the people in the hall of faith. They all point to Jesus. Hebrews 6 refers to Jesus as the forerunner. He has ran the race before us and made a way to the heavenly finish line. Jesus said to his disciples, I am going there to make a place for you. We are not to look to Christianity. We are to look to Jesus. If you think of driving your car, you can set your eyes on the lines of the road and be certain you're within them, or you can follow the car in front of you and run the risk of deviating from the marked path wherever they do. The lines on the road are Jesus, the cars in front of us, are our fellow brothers and sisters who are flawed. Christianity will disappoint. Church will be flawed because people are flawed, but Christ is perfect. Set your eyes on him. Now you'll notice this passage also doesn't say that he is the founder and perfecter of the faith, which would be true, but it says he is the founder and protector of our faith, our personal faith. 
Now, our faith is established by God. It's a gift from God if you read through Ephesians 2. Each man is given a measure of faith, and we are to walk our lives carrying it out. Look to Jesus, consider him and how he lived and persevered through lifelong persecution. Jesus didn't want to go through suffering either. He even prayed that the cup might pass from him if there were another way. He experienced the fullness of our sin and shame. He endured through the struggle and hardship, taking on the wrath wrath which we deserve because he had his eyes set beyond the cross to bring about the completion of the redemption plan promised in the Old Testament, to reconcile us, the lost, to God. Now, there's something that um, we say at UPS, which is another place that I work, and it's a motto called Most Important Stop. And it's a reminder of why you should take each stop and perform with excellence, and that's because of the hope of going home. Now, I think of that in the same way with our Christian walk. We should live every day, perform every task with excellence because of the ultimate hope that is set before us. Eternity with God is the hope of the Christian. Jesus endured it all and not because he deserved it. It's an ultimate expression of love. John 15 says that there's no greater that love than to lay down life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did for us. The hostility he faced was far beyond the persecution that we face here in America. The pain in which he faced was excruciating. Now, if you've ever thought about that word excruciating, in the middle of that word is cruce, a reference to crucifixion, which during the Roman Empire, was the most excruciating or painful way for one to die. The etymology of the word excruciating comes through that pain that Jesus suffered on the cross. Now, we in the United States have it easy in comparison. That's not to say that it is easy, but in comparison, we face social pressures and go against the grain of culture. But most of us haven't fought to the point of bloodshed And none of us have died yet. And certainly, none of us have endured the pain that Jesus did on the cross. Now, as we proceed to verses 5 through 13, we're going to see this word discipline come up over and over again. Verse 5, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them, shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, 
but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, the worldly discipline, which I believe most of us are familiar with if we had parents or other parent figures in our lives, is defined as the practice of training someone to obey rules or a code of behavior using punishment to correct disobedience. Now, the discipline of the Lord is a little bit different. His training is through correction. It's not to punish us. It's to correct us, to keep us on the path, to run the race that he set before us. Now, you'll notice in verse 8, it says that all of God's children participate in his discipline. If you haven't received his correction, it might be worth asking if you're truly his. You cannot have discipleship without discipline. In other words, we cannot run the race with him if we don't receive training from him. It's not possible to do it on our own strength. We need to have a healthy fear and respect or reverence of the Lord. Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom an understanding of who he is and by what manner he disciplines us. He corrects us because he loves us too much to allow us to go astray on the path to destruction without warning. He's that parent that warns you not to eat a whole carton of ice cream for breakfast, and we are the rebellious children that need to learn the hard way oftentimes. God is not apathetic. Many would agree that apathy is the opposite of love. It pains God to see us walk away from him out of that path intentionally. God has our best interest in mind, but he allows us to choose to willingly submit in humility or defy. C.S. Lewis once said, though our feelings come and go, his love for us does not. It is not wearied by sins or our indifference and therefore, it is quite relentless in its determination that we shall be cured of those sins at whatever cost to us, at whatever cost to him. Difficulty can serve us as a reminder of why we need him. If you look at verse 5, it says, Have you forgotten the exhortation? The people that this letter was addressed to needed to be reminded of this. Difficulty... Suffering draws us closer to him, into deeper intimacy with him, reliance upon him. I don't know about you, but I'm much quicker to pray in times of trouble when I realize I can't do this on my own. We are to come up under his yoke and roll our burdens onto him. The discipline from God trains us in order to bring forth greater faith, maturity, Right. Now, I'm sure most of you know the fruit of the Spirit. Be holy as I am holy. This refers to the sanctification process. The process of becoming more like Christ, set apart as holy. Another analogy used in the New Testament is the refining of precious metals. In order to purify gold, it must go under extreme heat. Impurities rise to the top, and those are removed. I believe it's called dross. 
But those are those impurities. And it's the same thing for us. We are precious metals to God, and he wants to remove those impurities from our life at whatever cost to us, at whatever cost to him. I'm also reminded of a passage in, I think, most of the Gospels, but I know in John, in which Jesus speaks of abiding in the vine. Pruned branches bring forth more fruit. Now, this is an agrarian metaphor, and I came from a farming, ranching background, so it was a little bit easier for myself to get, but pruning speaks of removing that which inhibits proper formation of branches, and the vine dresser is God. Now, there are certain branches that are growing, and maybe they are on the path to produce fruit. However, the vine dresser, God, will prune those branches back so that those branches may bring forth more fruit. Now, that passage really spoke to me back in high school, and I believe that was actually a message that I heard the night that I accepted Christ as my personal Savior. Now, what's funny is something that I recalled last night uh, while I was in the midst of the prayer meeting, was something I told my youth pastor that night. I told him back in 2016 or 2017, I'm going to run for the Lord. And I don't think I knew what that meant back then. I think I literally meant I'm going to do cross country for the Lord because he was a cross country coach. However, it's really funny when I look back at that now and have a better understanding of what it means to run for the Lord. Now, I think it's important also to remember that God doesn't cause our human circumstances, for there is no evil or wickedness in him. However, he can use the evil circumstances in our life, our hardship, for good. Now, I think a question that all of us have had at some point is, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Suffering is a result of the fall, first seen in Genesis 3, And it's ultimately brought about by human free will. God has given us free will, and we can use that to live in a way that honors God. However, the people around us can also use that free will to go against that design God has for us. And unfortunately, that doesn't just affect themselves. It affects everybody around them. So because of the love that God has for us in giving us a free will, we also must choose him. And unfortunately, there are people who do not, or at least have not yet. Now, my wife and I got scammed out of $10,000 last year, which is a story some of you know about. And I don't believe that was ultimately God who scammed us. However, that painful experience helped us realize that we can't place our trust in money. There was good that came out of difficult circumstances. Now, we're not always going to see the good that comes out of suffering. If you think of your life as a quilt, it's not until it's complete that you can see the whole picture. Maybe every once in a while you can pick up on a piece of the design, but it's not until it's complete that you can see that God has an amazing plan for our life. Romans 8 said, God works together all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And it's also... Important to remember that those who do evil will have to come before a holy judge. The discipline 
of God is one thing. And then out of that, based upon his training of us, we can also have the discipline of self or spiritual disciplines. Now, I'm sure that this list could be much longer. However, a lot of these spiritual disciplines are silence and solitude, leaving space for God to work and speak in our lives, spending time at the feet of Jesus through studying his word and worshiping, praying and fasting, which is going to be something that all of us have a chance to participate here in three weeks, or even sooner if you're eager enough. You can fast any day, um, which sometimes crosses my mind and could be the cross I have to carry for that day. But another important part of spiritual discipline is healthy rest. Just because we're running does not mean that our race is going to be sprinting the entire time. God has designed us in such a way that we are to rest in him. If you look at 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, Paul says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul is speaking here of those self-disciplinary things, the self-control that an athlete has to exact in their life, those self-control elements that we in our Christian lives also have to do. Now, you may be wondering, why should I run this race anyway? It doesn't sound very fun. It doesn't sound very appealing. And I'm not running it yet, so why should I? Now, I think it's important to remember that we will all face hardship in this life in one form or the other. When we run for our own personal pleasure and satisfaction, we are like boxers beating the air. All is fleeting, and you never obtain it. You jump from one satisfaction to another and find that it never truly satisfies. 2 Corinthians 12, 10 says, For the sake of Christ, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, the Christian life, though we do endure hardship, comes with contentedness. We can be content knowing that God is working out all things for good, and we have that imperishable wreath waiting for us in heaven. 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8 says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The goal isn't heaven. Paul is still right alive when he's writing this. He's not saying I finished the race because I died and went to heaven. However, it's believed that this letter that Paul was writing was at the end of his life. We cannot work towards salvation. That's not the goal. Salvation is a free gift that only comes from repenting of your sins, trusting that Jesus died for you, defeating sin, and rose again three days later, claiming victory over death. 
The purpose of a Christian's life is to love God and make his love known to others. Our goal is to exercise our faith and redeem the time, become more like Christ, reflect his righteousness for others. Now, I think a lot of us are familiar with the judgment that comes after one dies or the white throne judgment. However, there's another judgment for the Christian called the judgment seat of Christ, which is spoke of a few, a few times. And these speak of eternal rewards to those who have redeemed the time or stewarded well that which God has given them. And it gives us a little bit of more reason to use the time we have here on earth to please and honor God. If we proceed to verse 12, it says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. There's that conjunctive adverb once again, therefore. Once we have a right view of discipline, what we read in the last few verses, should encourage us or exhort us it doesn't mean you're out of the race, and it doesn't mean that God doesn't care. We have the ability to set or our course or make our paths straight by submitting to God and his discipline. Straight paths reminds me of a verse that was framed in my parents' bathroom growing up, and that was before cell phone entertainment, so when I was in there, I'd have to read that verse every time, <laughs> and that verse was Proverbs 3, 5, 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Bad posture puts your joints and bones in the wrong alignment and causes your body to work harder. It might work at the start of the race, but it's not sustainable and it's certainly not gonna help in building up endurance. Perhaps you came here today feeling out of joint, exhausted from doing things on your own strength according to your own understanding. Jesus heals the whole person. In our walk, Jesus can heal those weak knees, those drooping hands. And sometimes we're going to have to endure hardship in order to be healed in ways that cannot be otherwise healed. Now, for those of you who have been running the race faithfully for a very long time and you're experiencing weariness, I want you to realize your race is an encouragement to others and how you finish your race will also continue that encouragement. Now, as a church, since May of 2021, we've been going through Luke um, the Gospel of Luke. And there were a couple of connections to Luke that this passage reminded me of, the first of which is Luke 14, 27, which is the cost of discipleship. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There is importance to an accurate understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We are not promised comfort, which is a false message that is all too common in the world we live in today. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, I have to ask you, if all you pray for and want from a relationship with God is comfort or the byproducts that come from a relationship with God, 
How are you going to respond when God allows you to go through uncomfortableness? And I was reminded of that last week or the week before when Rob gave us the 15-day prayer challenge, not to just pray that God would bless our food and bless our sleep, but we should have a desire to know God and not just seek comfort through him. Acts 4, which is the book we've been going through with real life, the book of Acts, the disciples are praying for boldness and strength and not comfort in the midst of persecution. God can use the hardship we face to advance the gospel message. If you look at Paul writing from prison in Philippians 1, he says that through his imprisonment, the imperial guard has been coming to Christ. Or if you look through 2 Corinthians 11, Paul lists out all of these hard things, this adversity he has to endure. And then he says in Acts 20, 24, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The persecution of Christians also led to the push out of Jerusalem, propelling forth the Great Commission to go to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If the first Christians were comfortable, they never would have left Jerusalem. How beautiful is it when God uses the brokenness and the suffering of others and the triumph over those trials to bring hope to others, to bring the good news to others? Now, I'm also reminded of the parable of the sower in Luke 8. And Luke 8.13 says, The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. Now, these people who receive the word, the good news, are those who are like the runners who enter the race, and maybe they're okay for the first mile, but then they quickly exit the race or fall away in time of testing. Now, it might be worth asking if you would say that Christianity is appealing. Why is Christianity appealing? It shouldn't be appealing for reasons of comfort or blessing, though those can be byproducts of the Christian faith. But the reason one should place faith in the gospel is truth. We do non-believers a disservice when in an effort to make Jesus more appealing, we neglect to present him in his entirety or make promises that are not founded on scripture. When hardship comes, it may be perceived as they're doing something wrong, as if they don't have enough faith. Now, if Jesus is the model of our faith, enduring suffering, we shouldn't expect any different from our Heavenly Father. What we do have as Christians is a promise of security, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the guarantee that we cannot be separated from the love of God. Now, Hebrews 12, in its entirety, and in the passage from that that we looked at today, it beautifully illustrates salvation and sanctification. We must repent, lay aside our weight and sin. 
We must look to Jesus who endured the cross and shed his perfect blood in our place, rose again to life, and then ascended to heaven to the right hand of God. We must place our faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. And sanctification, walk or run in a proper father-child relationship. As we enter the new year, many of us are setting resolutions. Many people plan to get gym memberships to work out. Some of you probably did that. But let us not forget our membership as citizens of heaven and the importance of working out spiritual muscles. As long as we have breath in our lungs, it is not too late to run the race. Until God is finished with us, we are not finished with our race. I'd like to call the worship team back up and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you for the opportunity that we have to run a race, Lord. That you have more to life for us than just salvation, Lord. That we can know more about you, Lord. That we can know you better and have a personal relationship with you, Lord. And that you desire to perfect us. And Father, I pray that we would just have the strength to continue our race and endurance as we go into this new year or go through the challenge that we might even face today. Father, I pray that this would be a word of encouragement to those who are experiencing weariness right now, Lord, that you would just minister joy into the hearts of those who have it, Father. And for those who don't have your joy yet, Lord, that it would just draw them, Father, that your love would just be appealing, Father. Father, I pray that you would just continue to work in all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's give it up for Nemo. Thanks, Nemo. Yeah. Awesome. So good.